0: Welcome everybody to the Sleepy Perform Repeat Podcast. This is your host, David Clancy, and along with my co-host, Conor Gavin, we are here in SoCo Performance, Dublin, Ireland, to bring you a podcast focusing on what it means to be performing at the highest level. What, in essence, is high-performance culture? We're going to share our experience and our backgrounds into what we've acquired over the years. Conor Gavin has extensive experience of working in the AFL with the West Coast Eagles, but also having worked in a high-performance environment with the Irish rugby team. Myself, David Clancy, I'm going to bring my experience and know-how from having worked in London with Isaac Kinetic Medical Group on Hardy Street, but also having experienced high performance culture working with the Brooklyn Nets and the San Antonio Spurs of the NBA. What we're striving to achieve here is to find out what exactly makes high level athletes tick and what makes them to perform at the highest level and how they really can get back to play at the highest level of return to play and return to performance after injury. How do all these elements play a role in performance? That's what we're really trying to find out here. So I hope you all enjoy listening to this and can learn. I really hope it sparks an interest because what we're really trying to do here in Ireland is evolve and grow and tap into what really makes high performance culture.
1: Hey guys, so today we spoke with professional basketball coach Julian Espinosa. So it was great to speak to a head coach and get a different perspective on all things high performance in sport. So we chatted to Julian about uh, various topics, we included uh, his coaching career to date, his coaching philosophy, uh, the term players coach and being a players coach and uh, his thoughts on that. We get it his advice for younger coaches on copying successful models versus creating your own model and uh, also the effect of having a role model in creating your own kind of coaching philosophy speak about the effect on team dynamics of having a high ego player in the team or signing a high ego player to your team and how that can impact team chemistry we also chat about the ideal ratio of focusing on your own game versus focusing on the opposition when you're tactically preparing for your next game uh we chat about how to coach up one-dimensional players and the best way to go about that and we also talk about the evolution of basketball as a sport so it's great listen for anyone uh involved in coaching or any aspiring coaches out there so as with all the other episodes you can get more info on them on our website uh, including this episode obviously that is sleep so yeah i hope you enjoy this one and we will speak to you soon hi everyone welcome to another episode of sleepy Performer Pete. today we are speaking with julian espinoza uh, who david is going to give an introduction to
0: So I was very fortunate to spend time with Julian this season when he was head coach for Antibes Shark in the Pro-A League in France. So he was a professional basketball head coach. He's now a consultant working throughout Europe with a variety of different clubs. He's actually just back from having spent some time with Bayern Munich of the EuroLeague. So myself and Connor are really looking forward to hearing Everything that high performance means to to a head coach, because that's a different angle for us today. We've only interviewed players and coaches, so Julian's actually the first coach that we're going to speak to. So, so Julian, how is everything? How is life there for you today?
2: Uh, well, it's uh, it's a very interesting uh, moment uh, in my life that I discover uh, a moment where when. The time that I have to uh, do activities that I decide to do uh, is uh, much more free uh, than it was when I when I was uh, coach of my team um, when you are a coach you your time is really scheduled and uh, you don't have a lot of opportunities to explore uh, around you uh, because your daily uh, routine are very uh, deeply uh, integrated into your schedule, so it's a uh, it's a period that I discover uh, having time to to talk with uh, more people uh, outside of uh, my uh, daily daily work, and it's uh, it's very very interesting. Uh, I define it like an exploring period, so that's definitely
0: exciting period of my life. Because you you haven't had a chance to explore because you've been so busy. How, just t- tell the listeners, Julian. you've been, you were a head coach for nearly a decade, is that right? Uh, actually,
2: I started to be head coach in 2011, we are 2019, so yes, it's, it's, it's been eight, eight seasons uh, in a row that I was head coach.
0: So now you finally have a chance to look at other things and learn and evolve yourself, I suppose.
2: I Yes, absolutely, and that's that's really something that I missed when I was uh, in charge of the team because uh, I had the chance to, to follow uh, um, university uh, courses in uh, Nice, uh, in the the Science of Sports uh, University, and uh, it was amazing to go in that kind of uh, um, that kind of uh, classes because you receive uh, lessons and classes from Teachers having uh, experience in different sports and uh, from different uh, scientific approaches, uh, sociology, psychology, uh, biology, and so it's so uh, such a, a wide uh, income that you receive as a student. And then when I started to be to be coach, uh, well, after a few years, you 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 realize that you are repeating some. Uh, some routines and uh, I was looking for experiences to, 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 to get different uh, cultures into my, uh, my daily uh, daily experiences. And it was a little bit frustrating that I could not organize it more. But, you know, coaching a team takes a lot of time and taking care of players and staff and environment around the team is something that yeah, takes a lot of time and a lot of sure energy.
1: So Julian, talk to us about your coaching philosophy, has that changed much from 2011 to 2019 or do you feel you're more or less the same coach now as you were then? Uh,
2: of course it changed, of course uh, I had the chance not to, to be a former professional player so when I began as a head coach uh, first of all I, I had some experience as an assistant coach and as a coach from the youth team so I could make I had opportunity to try and to learn beside the head coach called Fabo Vucevic uh, that I worked with in Antibes and who is now still in French first division in Boucamers uh, but after when I started to coach I didn't have a lot of experience uh, because one more time I didn't have player career and uh, that made me, that forced me really to uh, uh, observe the players and uh, uh, try to understand the players because these talented persons that you have around you, uh, more talented than I had ever been in my life as a basketball player, were kind of uh, enigmatic for me. I don't know if this word is uh, exists in English, but uh it absolutely the, does. an enigma. And I try to understand, I try to understand how players live their performance, uh, how they can feel on the court, how they can think outside of the court uh, during practices and games. So I definitely had the habit to learn my job at the contact of the players and to try to grow as a coach um, by understanding the, the, the players. Players, uh, um, what they did every day, and uh, that built me year after year, season after season during these eight years. So yeah, definitely, I changed. I changed my coaching approach.
0: So it was you were kind of a, you've become a bit of a players coach, or were you a players coach? Would you say? I I don't really like that terms because
2: yeah. uh, uh, for me it's uh, when you when you think about being a player's coach, you think like you chase you chase what the players uh, express as a desire. Yeah. And uh, I think that's not really the role of a coach. Uh, you cannot only uh, please the players. Uh, I think as a coach, you need to be a support for them. Uh, but a support means in one way to offer them a comfortable environment to help them growing but also uh, it's required that you sometimes move them in some directions and uh, push them to make efforts that instinctively they are not really uh, how can I say they don't really want to do uh, if you ask them to do this effort so I would not like to define myself as a players coach uh, for this reason. I, I think as a coach, you have to push your players a little bit further than their um, um, psychological limits at some points. And that's that's the role of a, of a, of a leader. Of a, it could be a captain, could be a teammate, could be a coach. And I think that you cannot always please the players if you really want to support them
1: okay so Julian do you think it is more important or a, or a better idea to as a coach to, and this could be across any sport but do you think it's a better idea to copy a successful model or to try and create your own one if you were to give advice to a young coach
2: hmm. uh, I would definitely give advice to a young coach uh, to not to be scared to have a model um, we I think that's We make our. We we can create for sure by the time, and we create every day, even from the first minute, the first drill we design uh, before practice. Uh, I think that you have to create something, even if you take it from another coach, you will have to adjust it to your team. So creation is uh, is always there. You have no other choice. But. I feel like it's very important to build yourself uh, uh, without without being scared of having a model uh, to build yourself. With uh, chasing uh, um, ch- chasing a model is, is something very important, I think, for a coach. You need it. You need it to. Uh, you can have many functions, but uh, build confidence uh, to. Uh, You know, sometimes, for example, I receive an advice from uh, one of my former uh, teachers at at university and uh, this teacher said to me, you know, if one day you have a doubt in front of uh, an issue that you can face with your player, you should think about your model in coaching and wonder to yourself, what would this great coach do if he was in my position? Mm. And uh, that, that helped me to find a solution by myself. Uh, for sure, I didn't have access to that coach. I could not call, uh, let's say, Ettore Messina or Sesko Obradovic or uh, mm. Popovic or Ferdinand But, okay, what would uh, Ettore Messina uh, do in my position?
0: Yeah. And
2: then you have some kind of idea that you never know if he would have done this or not. But it helps you to... Uh, Go beyond your, maybe, fear to do a mistake. Uh, Because at the end of the day, boldness and uh, going uh, behind your fears uh, is always the solution to fix issues and problems, I think. So, yes, having a role model for me is very important.
0: Julian, I have a a question for you. If if you're coaching a team, because I was asked this question this season by a head coach, not yourself, um, if a team is doing very well, so they're having a very successful season, one of their best seasons, but the coach was given an opportunity to sign a very good player, so a superstar, a player that would have had experience, but perhaps an ego, would you take the risk in bringing in a player of that caliber that could change the dynamic and the chemistry from what has already been a successful team but this player might help you become the champion team is it worth taking that risk of adding that player or do you try to keep improving the individuals you have without potentially risking team chemistry by bringing in that star player
2: Mm -hmm. that's 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 an extremely interesting question and i've been uh, and I had to face this uh, this question um, already many times uh, by the past. Uh, whether when you build uh, a new roster, and uh, you know that the year before you did something something good, and uh, you are trying to improve it, so should you continue with the same kind of roster, or should you try to? input uh, a big talent and a big ego yeah. and it can be also during the season and and your question can be find in different situations um, I think there are different answers uh, because it depends of the situation for sure but I'm gonna explain you why I say that my personal opinion like this straight is yes it's it's always something interesting to to, to add Add somebody in the team who will um, bring a new kind of energy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's a per- that's a personal feeling, but that's not what you have to do, um, because you have to make sure that this input is meaningful for your team, for your staff, for your direction, for your how you call that uh, management, and for your players. Mm-hmm. You gotta make sure that when you add uh, a big ego in your in your team chemistry, uh, that everybody is ready to face that uh, situation and to integrate that person into the team. Mm-hmm. Um, it's gonna take efforts from everyone uh, because the the cover will be pulled. Uh, by uh, a new player on his on his shoulders, if I can use this picture. Yeah. Uh, and everybody has to be able to, okay, um, manage this situation, understand the benefits of this situation for the team. Um, but I can tell you that the few uh, success that I had with my teams uh, would not have been uh, reached by my teams if we didn't have this uh, uh, difference inside the roster of and uh, this create this really create a, a specific dynamic into a, a team to have different players mm-hmm. um, in music they call it stable notes and active notes mm-hmm. and I think that it's very interesting this parallel with music because. For me, into a, a team, it's important to have stable uh, hmm. stable uh, resources uh, and it's important to have active resources who will move a little bit, uh, create some dynamics into the system. And I think that's very useful if you want to go to the next level.
1: All right. So Julian, a, a few years ago, I worked with a team and um, <clears throat> before every match, their coaches would sit down and do this thing called war games, where they would go through the opposition, and they would try and predict every possible tactical maneuver that the other team could make, and then they would predetermine what their response to that would be. So I often wondered, because obviously I, I haven't done that much coaching myself, but um, if you, you you have to be prepared for your opponents. But is there a line between kind of where would you fall? in the the debate between you can never be too underprepared versus no, you should just focus more on your own game and if we're coached up well enough, we'll be able to adapt to whatever the the opposition throw at us. Which side of the fence do you fall on?
2: Well, I would say the the red line is confidence and trust into your system. Um, The mistake that we could do is to look for solution uh, outside of our own culture, identity, system, whatever you call it. Um, and, um, and and some coaches and me included, I already did this mistake to look for solutions uh, outside of our identity. And I think that's a big mistake that I did. Uh, it happened that I did that mistake because my team was not enough confidence into our system, and I tried to compensate this with adjustments, new information that I set and offer to my players. But it was the wrong wrong way to do, because first of all, you have to create this uh, solid and trustful uh, identity that your teammates can um, can i say rely on and can um, um, get back on uh, some solid basics uh, before talking about adjustments then once your team is solid on its basics once your team has a solid trust into the system uh, okay you can now talk about adjustments uh, you can now talk about tactical situations specific to this game, to this opponent. Uh, but the, the timing is very important to consider in that uh, choices.
0: What What's your opinion, Julian, on when coaches bring in players, especially in the game of basketball, that only produce offensively? And we can think about marquee players in the NBA and a lot of inexperienced amateurs might say, oh, that guy doesn't play defense. I don't want him. He only scores. You know, people you think about could be James Harden, DeMar DeRozan, guys like this that are known for offensive productivity, but are very lapsed defensively. Carmelo Anthony. What's your kind of opinion on what principles people might apply to those sort of players?
2: One more time, um, really depends on the, the, the players you have around them and uh, how does the rest of the team and, and, and how do these players uh, are able to build a solid defense with help around them? Are they able to, to do some uh, uh, focus effort uh, in defense to give the right uh, direction to the ball handler to mm. send him on the, on, the, on the right side of the, of the tactical uh, structure of the defense that you have as a team and um, if you have a player who is very talented in offense but okay defensive wise is not the guy who's going to make the most uh, efficient actions one against one um, you have to hide him and your team has to be able to hide him and to integrate him into a system. This requires uh, efforts, understanding, and uh, patience from the rest of the team. Um, and it's like when you said on, in your previous question, uh, would you put into your your team uh, a superstar with big ego? Well, the question is a little bit... Uh, the same, on my point of view, it depends on how the rest of the team can accept this challenge and understand that this player is going to make uh, an input into the team if we integrate him the right way into our system. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for example, uh, I, I would like to give you an example about this. Uh, few years ago, we were uh, we had to decide between. Uh, Keeping a player into our roster or not, and uh, it's it's to be honest, it's um, another player of the team. So we we were in a second division Pro B, and we were wondering, okay, should we go with this guy for the next season? And uh, okay, I I spent some some times to talk, and we had some conversation with the coaching staff, with the management and the club, and also with the players. So we were really hesitating with the management and with the coaching staff. Uh, we were thinking like, yeah, but the players are not going to accept this guy and he's going to put problem in the daily life. And two of the players who were already signed came to me to say, you know what, we, we're going to figure it. Mm-hmm. Don't worry, we need a guy like this. Mm-hmm. We need this guy and we are going to figure it uh, if he can listen, if he can make the minimum effort and be related with us on the court, we're going to figure it. Uh, we need this extra offensive talent because that's something you cannot really uh, create without uh, without the player, without the the, the, the personnel. And uh, the players gave us this uh, decision, like, okay, we, we go, we're going to figure this situation and we're going to make the effort as a team to compensate and uh,
0: that's the year we went from Pro B to Pro A. So it it (laughs) works. Another little basketball question for me and then over to Connor. Julian what's your opinion on how the game has evolved and changed from the 1990s when we had post game so we had players that played in the post and pivoted and actually the four and five were a strict power forward and center was today we've got run and gun we've got stretch fours the splash brothers have kind of revolutionized the game you know the rockets so many three pointers these days in your opinion is this good for the game of basketball that the game has really changed from your strict big men inside Shooters point guard to nearly everybody shoots and there's nobody inside anymore. What's your opinion on that?
2: well, I think that uh, analytics uh, and um, Physical development of the players uh, Have pushed the game in this direction Um, I'm talking about analytics because today you assume uh, much more um, using the three-point shots because you know that Uh, Considering what they offer you as a point per possession uh, into the into the statistics uh, is something benefit for the team uh, if you have a certain uh, certain uh, ability to to score your three points. So you select players who can score three points, and because it's always more difficult to defend shooters outside shooters than to. Uh, defense inside the paint that you can lock a little bit. Statistics have a little bit uh, influenced, I think, the the, the offensive approach of basketball and Houston Rockets are a a big example of that, but not only them, Chicago Bulls did that also. And uh, I remember I watched the game and I tried to explain uh, my wife uh, what the teams uh, were looking for on the court and I was saying to her, uh, look, in, in the game now, in modern basketball, they only look for layups or three-point shots. Hmm. And during 20 minutes of the game, it was an NBA game uh, that we were watching uh, in the bar, and she was she said, yeah, but they have only taken these shots in the paint and three points, and nothing else.
0: No 12 or 15-foot shots, nothing. Wow.
2: Uh, and that's really influenced by, uh, by the... the the science of uh, of analytics in, in in basketball that push the coaching staff and the players to to make these decisions, hmm.
0: um,
2: and and then about uh, about the the second reason for me it's uh, that the players are now so mobile and agile and coordinated and the the, the development work that is done for guys. Uh, who are six, seven, six, eight, six, nine, six, ten, and the way they move and their talent is something incredible. That today you have uh, players who are able to move much better than in the 90s. Mm. Uh, when you watch game in the 90s, the, the we can say that at the same size today's players uh, are moving, uh, are moving much better than they did 20 years ago and it's 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 normal i think it's the the direction of uh, of sports um the, the the bigger size move better and uh, that create more powerful players and more uh, agile players and yeah that's a big evolution so you have more players facing the basket that's what we call the stretch four, basically um so yeah and 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 the last thing is that, yes, I think in basketball you have some kind of uh, cultural uh, um, directions that uh, when a team like the Warriors or like the Rockets uh, wins so many games with a certain identity of game, then, okay, everybody want to chase them. Mm. Um, But uh, maybe the the, the team who's going to stop the Warriors is going to be a team who, who play another kind of game, who knows, who knows. So, yeah, it's always being good where the rest of the league is not very good and trying to maybe sometimes create some different uh, advantage uh, as a strategy.
1: So, Julian, a couple of quick-fire questions for you to finish. Um, How would you define high performance? What does high performance culture mean to you as a coach? Uh,
2: For me, I think, I think most important is uh, is a player capable to uh, make a link between uh, what he would like to do, uh, his intentions, and uh, what he feels, and uh, what his uh, uh, the, the the game plan is in. Um, I believe a lot in uh, in this ability to to create this link between body and mind and I don't like to see a player um, too much in a reflection when he's on the court uh, and I think that us coaches are responsible of this I think that as coach uh, who are uh, analyzing the game uh, we are making some uh, representation of the game we inter- intellectualize the game uh, sometimes we 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 send the players into their uh, thoughts, into their thinking process, and we don't help them to stay related to their instinct. And uh, I want to see players on the court related to their instinct. Um, so that's the first thing of high performance. And the second thing for sure is preparation. So, But if you have a player who is well prepared and related with his instinct, what Timothy Galloway, uh called in 1974 when he wrote this uh, uh this book uh the inner game um he called itself too but that's basically what we call everyday instinct and um i think that's the most beautiful thing to see in uh, in sport is that players are capable to stay related to that instinct even if they are smart and they are, um, they have clear intentions, tactical intentions. Um, but okay, they, they must not let this uh, thinking process cut them from uh, this relation between what happened in the direct environment here and now, and uh, how they move.
1: Okay, perfect. And let's say we're in a game scenario, uh, Julian, and something doesn't quite go to plan. Um, How do you reset yourself, how do you kind of mentally overcome that before you even go about adjusting tactics, anything like that? Do you have any techniques you use for yourself?
0: Yes, well, uh, you mean when a coach
1: makes a tactical adjustment that we have to answer to? Uh, Either that or or something that you've pre-planned passing on according to plan and it's kind of knocked you off your stride a bit. What do you do to, to reset yourself?
2: Back to the basics. Back to the basics, um, when, you, when something doesn't work, uh, it means that it influences uh, in a wrong way some basics that you believe in uh, that allow you to perform into a game. And these basics have to be uh, really strongly um, uh, defined into um, coaching staff and, and team's uh, culture what are your basics, uh, whether it's about defensive standards, whether it's about rebounding, uh, whether it's about uh, running the floor and putting some rhythm in your game, I think you should have three standards uh, maximum. Maximum three standards that uh, are your constant um, marks to to, to to know if you are uh, on the right way or not. And if these standards... Uh, for example, let's say our opponent should not take more than, let's say, 25% of offensive rebound. Uh, and if they take 40% of offensive rebound, that should be uh, like an alarm coming from your coaching staff. And uh, you should in- immediately try to react and get back to your standards. Uh, so, whatever doesn't work, your standards uh, has to give you the first. Uh, 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 how can I say? The first answer: uh, Get back to your standards and fight to, to to get back on track.
1: Okay, perfect. And then, uh, lastly, Julian, what are the three things that define you at the moment? Whether that's as a person, as a coach, as a, you know, as a husband. What 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 are your three big things in life at the moment?
2: What I try to do and. Um, that's the direction I take today. Is uh, be authentic. Try to be authentic uh, and, and uh, trust what your. Um, how can I say that? Trust what you have inside. Uh, you want to make good support for people around you, whether it's family, whether it's friends, whether it's players in the team. Uh, be yourself. Strengthen yourself. Uh, in order to be an effective support for people that you love, and that's my daily uh, my daily efforts to to be myself as let's say um, how you call that uh, not strong but uh, like somebody that you can trust and uh, support people around you who who love you and who you love, family, friends, whatever, and uh, that's the most important thing for me
0: today Julian, from the two of us here, we'd like to thank you for coming on today. I'd like to acknowledge you for a couple of things. Firstly, you know you've, you're a coach and person that has evolved a lot through the years. It's a testament to you that you've always been an avid learner. I've seen that face to face and how keen you are to let others in and try to help them understand your process and philosophy. You're obviously a a coach that applies your system, be that philosophical, technical, or tactical to any team. So that's a credit to you. I'm actually reading a book at the moment called the Wizenard series that was written by Kobe Bryant. And and he created a coach that is essentially giving young players um, advice as they're playing on his young high school team. And he was a combination of Phil Jackson, Tex Winter, and a few other coaches that Kobe had learned from through the years. So I think that's really a testament to the strength of of the head coach. Um, Sometimes coaches get get it tough, but you've really been a, a great coach throughout your career. And we both wish you all the best going forward. And I hope to see you for a coffee or a pint of Guinness in the not too distant future. So thanks for coming on today.
2: Thank you very much, and I want to thank you for your uh, advices and support. And uh, I appreciate what I received uh, from you this uh, past uh, past weeks uh, that we have been in contact. And uh, definitely, what you said about uh, Kobe Bryant's book, uh, um, it's important. And to understand that even the the people who succeed the most in their life uh, keep models, uh, stay humble, and uh, uh influenced by uh, other persons around them, and uh, we learn from others, and uh, we—that's that's the, the best way to, to, to begin in a coaching career—is to, yeah, to, to get touched and not to hesitate to be touched by somebody else and to be influenced. So, thank you for that, and uh, yeah, I will definitely read this book.
0: Thank you, soon, my friend. Bye, bye.